very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Thank you. Hello everyone, it's wonderful to be here. County is a real honor and a privilege. And uh, this is one of my favorite places to be actually. It's a wonderful church and uh, if you're not yet a part of it, it'd be great to join. And uh, so it's my privilege to take us to the scriptures that we've just had before us and we're going to be looking at Live in Wisdom and by the Spirit. We're talking about transformed lives. When we become Christians, that's not that we just get a ticket to heaven, but we're on a process in this life. We want to be more and more like Jesus. In fact, the Bible says we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another, so there needs to be progress. And when Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, he's talking very, very practically about the fact that when you become a Christian, a transformation takes place, but there's our part and that there's God's part as well. We're going to be looking at the importance of making choices and moving to a place where we're making wise calls on our life. This is a very practical outline from the scriptures that I believe will help us all today as we hear God's word. Now, life, of course, is made of all kinds of choices. There have been huge choices that you and, and all of us have had, had to make. I remember in the sixth form being asked the question, in fact, pestered by teachers saying, you know, what are you going to do when you finish your education? And I really struggled with that at the time. I, I had all kinds of options, things that I might like to do. And it's a big call, isn't it, to make a wise choice. And as you look back on the huge choices of your life, isn't it important that we make the big calls right? But then, of course, on a daily basis, we're making small choices, like, you know, what are we going to have for tea tonight? Little choices. But some of those small choices are also very important, and we make a small wrong choice. It could lead to other uh, bad choices. And um, not only are there choices big and small that we make, but actually we often view our choices in different ways. I'm married to Irene, and she would say, for instance, that a huge call or a huge choice is the colour that we paint our dining room. I, I have to say that's not a big cosmic thing for me, and I might not even notice when it's got done. But big choices, small choices, all of us have to make Big choices, small choices in our lives. And of course, the moment we become Christians, often the basis on how we make those choices begins to change. We become Christians and we want to learn what it is to please God. And therefore, we make sometimes small uh, choices 
who am I going to meet with today? Uh, what am I going to watch on TV? We make small choices, but also we uh, have to make the big calls in life, which might be to do with, you know, who we're going to marry and where are we going to go and, you know, what job am I going to now go for? And often the way that we discern those things when we're Christians begins to shift and begins to change. And so as Christians, then we make all kinds of choices, moral choices. How am I going to behave in life? How am I going to treat people? Uh, issues to do with sexuality, the things that we do, the things that we, uh, we watch, all of those kind of things. Lifestyle issues become very important to us. And also choices with regard to spiritual issues. Uh, it's always hard, isn't it, to get into spiritual disciplines. If you've been living a particular kind of life for a long period of time, you almost need a reprogramming of your thoughts and, and your mind, and you want to do what pleases God. So then you get into some simple choices, but big choices in many ways of, I'm going to read God's word, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, I'm, I'm going to do things to uh, show God that I'm really serious about this stuff. So as Christians, we make decisions. Now, our reading from Ephesians 5, I believe, poses a number of questions, and I want to address one or two of those with us all, and I hope that what I share will be helpful and will be practical, but will also be challenging. And the first question uh, that I want to ask is, where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line? Because our verse uh, for memory, verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And therefore, the question is, where do we draw the line on how we live? It is true, isn't it, that when we become Christians, our perspectives change, and we have to start drawing the line on our behavior and the way that we act and the way that we live in different places. I believe that chapters 4 and 5 of Ephesians kind of look at a contrasted world. It's a world on one hand of light. The Bible says that when we become followers of Christ, we enter the kingdom of light. And then there is this other contrast, a, a world of darkness. Uh, and we are, the Bible says when we become Christians, we're transferred from this kingdom to the kingdom of light. However, in reality, as we start to walk that life, often what happens, we start really well. Uh, we know the shift has taken place. We're trusting God. Behavior begins to change. But we have to make sure in our lives that the process continues in a very practical way. Otherwise, we can begin to shift the line to do with our behavior and begin to move back into perhaps shadow areas or secret areas. We say, I still want to become a Christian, but be a Christian. But often what happens, uh, people try to compromise their faith, keep one foot in one camp, uh, one foot in another, sometimes treat different days in different ways. So you come to church on Sunday, but then live differently at other times. And so if we're not careful, we begin to shift the, the basis of our faith and it's very possible it can happen in all kinds of ways. If you get yourself in wrong company, it can happen quite quickly. Where you're surrounded by negative people. And if you surround yourself with negative things, you can find that that sharpness of Christian faith can be, begin to diminish. It can also happen just through the busyness of life. 
All of us, you know, when we get up in the morning and face things, we've got family issues, we've got work issues, we've got, uh, you know, leisure time. How do we fit things in? Our world is moving quickly and uh, we have to make uh, choices. And so there's the choice of light or darkness, but sometimes we find ourselves in shadow area. But in this particular verse, be very wise then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. It's as though the the picture then is not just a contrast of light and darkness, but of wisdom and a lack of wisdom, uh, and actually foolishness. And that's where it gets um, very, very practical. You know, when we talk spiritual language, light and darkness, somehow we can keep that theoretical. But when it comes to daily wise choices, when it comes to making the good calls, we have to know that we are acting wisely. And this passage is about that, how we can draw the lines uh, in our decision making. uh, That's very important. Now, perhaps I could illustrate how this kind of stuff works a little from the scriptures. In the Old Testament, when you say the word wisdom, a person that springs to mind straight away is King Solomon. Because on a particular day, King Solomon was asked by God, you know, to share his heart. What is it that that you want? Uh, What a remarkable thing. And actually, uh, what he said was incredibly wise, wasn't it? He knew that if he was to lead the people of God more than anything else, more than wealth and possessions, he knew that he needed wisdom. And of course, God was very pleased with that big choice that he made, and then he threw in the blessings as well. And so you would have expected that, that Solomon now was set for life because people are traveling to hear his wisdom. Uh, Many of the things that he said and spoke we find in the scriptures. Proverbs is full of wise sayings. And so Solomon was a man who was hearing from God. God granted him this incredible ability to wisely handle life. And he would look at life. He would look at situations. And he would make wise decisions. And much of that wisdom we find in the book of Proverbs. And I like to go to the book of Proverbs with regard to wise choices. And there's some practical stuff there. But as you read that story through you will find that though he started incredibly well, he began to drift. And I believe it was because he started to shift lines in his life. He started to shift lines with regard to relationships. Firstly, to do with the relationship with God, he started to actually move into areas of idolatry. You could actually hardly imagine that he would move from Yahweh God, the God of all things, and then begin to shift a little and be, if you like, compromised by the peoples that are around. So he started to draw different lines. He also did that morally. And he began to uh, mess with things he shouldn't have touched and uh, get into relationships that he shouldn't have got into. And uh, often these things, they kind of have a creeping ability. It's not that Solomon woke up one morning and said, you know, I was in the light, now I want to do bad stuff. No, there was an erosion, a daily erosion through compromise. And this is where it gets very practical for us as followers of Jesus I think that for all of us, we really want to follow God. We long to be pleasing to him. 
But then we find ourselves with all kinds of things around us, choices that we make, the entertainment that we may follow, what are we going to do in certain situations, and if we're not careful, we start really strong and really well, and then we kind of shift the lines, and we begin to move from the clarity that we used to have. And uh, I often speak to people who really started well, and for for these things, it's, it's, it's also to do with circumstances and situations, things that perhaps we're not responsible for. You know, if you start well and everything's going well, and then you find yourself in a season of pressure or difficulty, and you find yourself bombarded with problems, then it's then that you really need the wise calls in your life. And sometimes when life doesn't treat you well, it can either make you better or it can make you bitter. And I think with regard to Solomon, he shifted uh, from where he ought to have been. And also, when I think of uh, making choices, I go to another Old Testament uh, passage to do with a man called Samson. Now, Samson was granted strength. The, the beautiful thing is when you serve God, you know, there should be this kind of 10 times better stuff that's working in your heart and in your life. And Samson was stronger than the rest. But that strength should have been used for the overcoming of enemies and for the purposes of God. And what you notice with Samson is this issue of shifting lines. I think that Samson often, I would call it, he flirted with sin. Uh, sometimes he never actually crossed lines, but he got very close to the lines. For instance, if over your life God has spoken into your life and said no strong drink in your life, as that's what was said uh, to Samson, uh, I think it's not wise to actually live near vineyards and to be surrounded by pressures. Sometimes people do that. If there are weak, weak areas of the life, I think it's often good to draw a line a long way away from those things. And uh, Samson flirted with things and uh, in the end, of course, crossed lines. And, and uh, his, his days, which were meant to be filled with victory, were filled with defeat. And, and uh, he lost his sight, he lost his eyes. God gave him a, a good finale. But, but actually, uh, this shows us that the choices that we make we can begin well, but we need to keep moving forward. And so I think it's, it's worth just saying, uh, here's some challenge for all of us. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And it may well be that as we go through this study, God will highlight little areas of shift, perhaps pressures that you're under, pressures from a peer level to conform, pressures to do it the way of the world, and I, I'm here to say that actually there's a better way, and it's the way of living wisdom by the Spirit. I was thinking as I prepared this message uh, on the choices that I've made in my life, and I thought I'd start first positively about some good decisions that I think I've made through life. But one great decision that I made was to get married, and particularly who I married. And so, I'm, I'm now 65, I know you can hardly believe it, but the age of 65, to be able to say I made the right call, that I'm more in love today than I've ever been with my wife, and to be able to say that in today's world is just a great thing. It's not rhetoric, it's the way I feel. Uh, we do get mocked slightly because we still hold hands a lot, and uh, yeah, it's great. 
So I, I think I made the right call, and I'm blessed by that. And, um, and I think I made some right calls with regard to the bringing up of my children. One thing that I had, had observed as, as a Christian was that often there's this pastor's kid syndrome thing, and I was nervous because I've been to places where the children of pastors really don't like the church too much, and I thought, that can't be right. I want my kids to love God and to love his people and to love the church. So when I first got into ministry, I kind of said, this is going to be a priority in my life. I want to make some wise choices about my children. And so I set about with Thursday night is kids' night. So as they were growing up, sometimes I'd have the, the three together and we'd do something really inspiring, like I would collect them from school and go straight to Skegness. I mean, there's nothing more exciting on planet Earth than that. Uh, and I would sort of bring a variety of exciting things. And I would also spend, hopefully, quality time with each of them. And I've loved that journey. And and now, of course, it's a bit strange when I say kids because I've got a 42-year-old and that feels very strange. But the beauty is he's in our church and the other two are in our church and uh, my grandkids are in the church and it's kind of starting a new cycle again and I just love it. So I've made some good big calls in terms of family. But I'm not here saying I've made great calls on everything that I've done. And uh, I'm not here to talk about regrets because that's between me and the Lord. But there are certain things that I know I could, have, I could have made sharper calls, better calls. Because I do believe that we've only one life to live and we need to do things well. I believe that we need to make bigger choices sometimes for greater things. Not in order to build us up, but to magnify Jesus who has saved us. Don't ever put a low bar on your achievement ability. You may have been told that you won't add up to much. You may have had teachers say things into your life. I had a teacher that was always consistently saying, you'll never do any good at maths. He was a prophet. I've never been good with numbers. But the problem is that if you believe stuff that's spoken of your life, it can really hold you back Perhaps you've got the idea that you're not clever, you've not got ability, you're not as gifted as the person next to you. We need to break that stuff and begin to say, I am who I am and I'm made in the image of God and God is with me and if God is with me, everything's possible. And so lift that bar, believe God. But as I was looking back, I think there was a challenge on my life, even from a young boy, to kind of rebel against parent stuff, to rebel against Christian stuff. And sometimes it was a little bit embarrassing because in those days I was brought up in a Methodist home and my dad was a Methodist local preacher, so Sundays was meeting days. I have to say that there, it was a pretty boring day if I'm really honest about it. So sometimes I was, I was actually on the edge a little bit. Uh, I was a little bit different, quite a bit different actually on a Monday than a Sunday because uh, I just wanted to get some reality and normality after this, the Sunday stuff which sometimes was a bit hard and laborious and I remember as a young boy uh, sometimes kicking a bit against authority. I, I kicked a bit against my dad's authority with regard to length of hair for instance. If you see a few photos of me, I am typical of the 70s and you see the length of hair and my dad saying if you don't get it cut, I will take you to get it cut. So there were certain uh, challenges there. 
But I remember a, a, a little picture came to me as I was preparing this. Uh, as a, a young boy, and I remember being off school. I wasn't well, so I was off school, and I remember my mum was doing some ironing, and I, I remember I was playing with something, and, and she said to me, I'm just going to pop to the corner shop, and I won't be uh, very many minutes, but this is what she said. She pointed a finger and said, do not touch the iron. Do not touch the iron. Now, to be truthful, I would never even have thought of touching the iron had she not challenged me with this possibility. And so, you know, I thought, I wonder what it feels like to touch an iron. So I cautiously went towards the iron. I tested the, the ground slightly. I actually spat on the, on, on the iron and it hissed. I thought, it really is hot. And then in real adventurous style, I did in fact cross a line that day, which I now regret. I've never touched an iron since because it was not a great experience. I learned two things. It really is good to come under the discipline of parents and it's not much fun crossing lines when you do daft stuff. And so I could look and catalogue uh, through my life pieces of rebellion, but you know, those small choices, you know, I'm really conscious that were it not for God's grace, that if I had crossed certain lines, crossed borders, not listened to parents, not listened to God, I could have been living a very different life today. So I'm grateful to God. So I want to make wise choices. I believe we're here to say, let's make wise choices, not unwise choices. But then in verse 17, actually Paul goes slightly stronger. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In other words, he's saying, it's not just take care, but don't be foolish. You can make really bad decisions. I remember a man called Alec Buchanan. Uh, he's now in heaven, but uh, he came to one of our events on the showground, Grapevine, years ago. And before he came, we said, can you let us have details of your seminars? And one of the seminars that he uh, gave the title for kind of intrigued me because it was called Handling Daft Christians. And I thought, well, that is an interesting topic. Uh, I thought I'd watch to see what happens. That was one of the best attended <laughs> seminars of that year. The reason being, I think there were quite a lot of daft Christians there. That was one thing, and they wanted definition. But also, uh, there were quite a lot of leaders thinking, how do you deal, how do you handle with daft people? Now, of course, there's no daft people here, but, um, but it is possible, isn't it, for good people to make daft decisions, silly decisions, at critical times, and for various reasons. And so the scriptures here are here to challenge us, but they're also here to help us. Where do you cross the line? The second question that I find from this passage is, what do we fill our lives with? Now, there are so many things that compete for our attention, aren't there? But one thing I know is that the decision-making in our lives is dependent on what we fill our lives with. So if we fill our lives with wrong things, bad images, unhelpful things, addictive practices, it will actually result in us making foolish decisions. And that's why this passage is so helpful. Because we're not here being told, you know, 
that we're unwise or we're foolish, we're being given help so that on a daily basis, the choices that we make, we know what to fill our lives with. And this is to do with the filling of the Holy Spirit. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This is the power source for transformed living, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So what we fill our lives with really, really matters. Think really practically about this. The things you look at, the places you go to, the people you meet with, the attention you give to Scripture, all of these things become important. What are you filling your life with? Are you filling your ideas, your, your, your brain with all kinds of philosophies and ideas and possibilities? It's good to have learning. It's good to uh, research. But ultimately, is there a faith mechanism working in your life in order that you are making wise choices? And this has to do almost with the fuel in your life? What is it that motivates us? The power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Some years ago, I was going to a conference and it was down south and, and uh, I was speaking at the conference in the afternoon session. So I thought I wanted to be uh, there in good time. I also wanted to hear the morning speakers. And so I left from Lincoln uh, early in the morning. It was in the winter, so it was a dark morning. And I thought, I want to be prepared for the day. One thing that my dad put into my life was this. If you're 10 minutes early, you're late. And I've always kind of lived by that and then surprised everybody because I turn up early. And so I left really early. It was still dark. And I'm uh, going up the A1, which I often have to do for going south. And I was around about the Peterborough area when uh, my warning light for, for uh, oil uh, came on. Uh, I'm not very good with mechanics and practical things. My first default place was panic thinking I've got to be at this, I'm, you know, I've, uh, have I any oil in the, in the boot? But thankfully I had some oil, so I thought, no problem. Problem was, though, it was pitch dark. So, uh, you know, I, I get to the engine, I'm trying with my left hand to put my light on with my uh, iPhone, and, uh, and I'm trying to get the cap off the oil can, and trying to, and so I, I remove the, the uh, uh, I, I get, ultimately, get the oil into what I thought was the engine, but the problem was it was the radiator. And I instinctively knew this was not a good choice. This was a daft choice. That's another thing I've done, daft. And so I thought, well, I can't, I can't move on. If Dave Smith had been in that car, he would have prayed a miracle. Everything would have worked out. He would have just driven to the event. But because I'm not in that league, I decided that I'd get the AA and we would actually get back home and I had my car towed home and of course I'm thinking I'll never make this conference, what am I going to do? I phoned somebody at home and said can you really be ready for when I get back because you know I need a quick trip down south, I've got to do this, this talk. Eventually we get home, I try and get oil off my hands uh, and, and then I get into the car, we go down, of course keeping the speed limit right to the, the conference and I get there about 20 minutes before I'm up to speak. So I'm kind of in, don't get a feel of the meeting, straight up on the platform, share this thing that is, of course, no longer beating uh, too much in my heart. And needless to say, it wasn't the best talk I've ever delivered. 
But it did illustrate this. Do be very careful what fuel and how you handle your vehicle. And it's a good illustration, actually, because people sometimes, they, they, they fill their lives with stuff they were never designed to fill their life with. We are designed to be spiritual beings, full of the Holy Spirit, filled with the power and presence of God. And you know, my experience of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, I can categorically say that were it not for the Holy Spirit, I would not be here, I couldn't do it, you know, I struggle as it is, but I need the power and presence of God. And I remember being brought up in a Methodist home, we weren't told about the Holy Spirit. And that led me on a bit of a quest uh, earlier in my, just before really I entered into ministry and, and the quest for more of God and I came across a group of people that frightened me to death at first called Pentecostals and I'd heard all kinds of rumors about them and I knew that there was a Pentecostal pastor that worked in the place at the time where I was working, which was in the county council. And so I thought I'd ask him a few questions. His name was Arthur and Arthur was quite persistent with me but there was something in Arthur's life that intrigued me. He kind of um, glided up and down corridors and whistled the latest Christian song, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, which does uh, tell you how long ago it was. But he intrigued me and I remember he said, you know, I'll be happy to pray with you. And so on a particular occasion, three of us met together in the living room and this is what happened. He took us through the scriptures, Acts of the Apostles, you need to be filled with the Spirit, you need to be fueled up. Uh, I, was, I was more than intrigued, I'm desperate for God. And he says, this is what we're going to do. I want you to uh, confess all of your sins before God and uh, then I'll pray with you and you will receive the Holy Spirit and you'll speak in tongues and he was really strong on this. The, the, the bit about the confessing of sins, of course, as a Methodist, I just put my hands together, closed my eyes and said, Lord, please forgive me for all my sins. And I heard Arthur from the side say, is that it then? And uh, I said, what more? He said, tell the Lord, you know. And so I shared with the Lord and with Arthur uh, a number of things that I had regrets over. And I think I confessed a few things I had not done as well, just to be sure. <laughs> but then he laid hands on me. And I have to say, this was the life-transforming power of God that changed my life forever. I just believe that, an experience of the Holy Spirit. So it's better to be filled with the Spirit than filled with wine. <laughs> you can sing in both experiences, but it's what you sing that matters. And so my third question is this as we conclude, what does it look like to walk with wisdom? What does it really look like? How can we make this really practical for ourselves today? I, I think helpfully in these few verses, there are five things that, that, that are real progressions to be able to help us, all of us, to be able to face some of these challenges, but also respond to God today. So... What does it look like? Well, I've talked about light and darkness. I've talked about the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. But the New International uh, Version commentary on this passage actually says this. The call to live wisely is not a call for theoretical knowledge. It is a call for moral discernment and practical skill in making decisions. In other words, it's not airy-fairy, it's not up there somewhere, it's in you. It can happen, and it's in me, as we practically work out how we're going to do this. 
So how can we walk wisely and make a big difference in our world? First thing is be careful. We've majored on that. Be careful then how you live. Be very careful, the Bible says. So take care in those small decisions. Take care in the big decisions. It may be, for instance, there's a person right on the edge of making a big decision that you could regret. You know, this is why it's an amazing responsibility as I share the word, because I know in my own life that as the word is preached, I think I've been saved from things. And it may well be that somebody is in a relationship today and you're compromising the way that you're thinking and behaving. It's not for me to say, but as the Holy Spirit comes, I think I do believe God's saying, be very careful. Be very careful. This stuff is holy. The second thing is be smart. Be smart. Verse 16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That's really helpful. Because we're not just taking care in some kind of way, we're also pressing into new things. Taking every opportunity, pressing into new territory we've perhaps not thought about. Be smart. Wouldn't it be great to replace daft Christians for smart Christians? Now there's a novelty. Be careful. Be smart. Be filled. Verse 18, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. This is great, isn't it? As you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's something upwards towards God, outwards to people, speaking to one another, encouraging one another, and there's something inward that happens where there's a melody, a song in your heart, something that will sustain you through the difficulties of life. Be careful, be smart, be filled. And then verse 20, be thankful, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we can get this culture in every church in our land, thanksgiving, I'm thankful for life, I'm thankful for friends, I'm thankful for family, I'm thankful for God's love into my life. I'm just plain thankful. And then when others fail to say thank you, let us be the first in everything. I really am grateful to God. If I had time, I'd tell you some of the stuff, the darkest stuff we've had to go through, but I'm thankful I'm through it, and I'm thankful for God's grace, and I do believe there's grace for you if you're going through some situations today. Stick at it, keep at it, you can make it, you will make it. God is with you, God is for you, be thankful. And then the final verse is verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be accountable. Be accountable. I love this because this message isn't just about you and me as individuals. What happens is this. Making the right choices, actually it's hard to make choices on your own. There's a wisdom in an abundance of counsel. And it's good to have people to the left and to the right to check stuff out. The number of people that I've met who seemingly have a red phone to heaven and they say, God's told me, but it's amazing everybody around doesn't feel that that's a really good choice, but it's still God told me. And that's why accountability is very important. Be accountable. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I actually think that not many of us are truly accountable. You never know whether someone's accountable or not unless you hold them to account. Which means, you know, I wouldn't do that, and so on. People can say I'm accountable, but it has to be worked out 
in life. I hope some of those thoughts have been helpful to you, and I believe that those five things, if we walk into them, will allow us, by the grace of God, to live in wisdom by the Spirit. And so I'd love, if it's okay, to to pray now, and I love it when the Word of God challenges us. You know, there are great speakers, and and, uh, often they can challenge us, but the beauty is when you've got the solid Word of God challenging us, it's not then to do with opinion. (laughs) And I really feel that God has spoken these things for us together today so that we will be the better for it. And therefore, I would love to challenge in two distinct ways. The first thing is, where are you drawing the line? Are some of you just flirting with the edge of certain things you had left before? Have some kept one foot in the darker areas of life and have never really got free from it? Perhaps there are others right on the edge of a big decision that could be a bad decision and you're feeling and sensing that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and and really encouraging you to pull back from that. The amazing thing the enemy will put on us is if we get too, too strong on this, we'll lose our joy, we'll lose our life. I've found that when you submit to God and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's when life begins. That's when joy springs up. That's when good life gets lived. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life in all its fullness.